Welcome back to Classroom Chats with Crystal, where I help you refine, define, and further develop your teacher identity. Happy New Year. It is 2021 and we are still here. We have made it and we are continuing to walk in a year of history. Shortly before Christmas, I was featured in Black Educators Matter under the subtitle, go ahead and take a guess, Classroom Chats. Um, Black Educators Matter is a podcast that seeks to interview 500 Black educators. And their goal is to really share those educator stories. So in that particular interview, I have the opportunity to reflect on my time Um, in Title I schools as well as in non-Title I schools and really just spend a little time talking with the amazing hosts about whether or not schools are designed or developed uh, even in 2021 for children of color. So if you haven't taken, uh, taken a peek at that, it is posted on the Facebook group Classroom Chats And you can also find it um, anywhere you listen to your podcast under Black Educators Matters. It was released, I believe, December 23rd. So please check out your girl. So uh, one thing that I want to mention before I jump into the question for today is uh, what's upcoming. So it is a new year. So I'll spend the next few episodes outside of this one. Um, really just vision casting. So please tune in to the next few episodes because those are going to be fun. Um, just to make sure that we all are recalibrated as well as continuing to um, encourage ourselves so that we can uh, really define this new phase in education. So today uh, my, my focus is going to be on really Um, my time in the classroom working with our virtual students um, with a group of students who are considered to be our most fragile and it is an an extension of episode 12 which is my students are not submitting assignments so this one is just slightly different maybe a few more recommendations on how we really engage with some of our students who are learning online Um, Just this past week, I was talking to one of my teachers, um, really just reflecting on this year in general, as well as um, last quarter in the grades. And one thing she mentioned to me is that it was very difficult to give grades this time around, or should I say, assign a grade to students based on what they've earned. Because what she said is that although some Some of her colleagues may have said things like they massage the grades. She said, you know, it's really difficult to massage the grade if you've only received two assignments from a student and they're online, but sometimes they're not as active as you'd like. So it poses a problem. And just reflecting on my uh, conversation for uh, Black Educators Matters and classroom chats and just really how our schools are designed and set up. I will say one thing that she mentioned is that some of our most fragile students, um, and they are primarily our children of color, are not attending school face-to-face. A lot of our uh, black children and even some of our Hispanic children, they are attending school uh, virtually. This would not be a problem if um, they were attending consistently, submitting work, 
participating in class. But what we're finding is that some of our most fragile students um, are not participating at the, at, a, at the extent that we'd like them to. Um, if you've taught emerging learners face-to-face um, -face before the pandemic in this new phase of education, you know that even if those students are sitting in your classroom face-to-face, -face, we have to be very deliberate to make sure that we are assessing their learning and just re-engaging them and re-engaging them as we progress through the lesson to make sure that they stay with us. Uh, because we wanna make sure that we give them um, all that they need and much more. So this new way of learning uh, virtually and from afar, even with uh, teachers uh, teaching live lessons um, is posing a challenge. So one thing that I decided to do because I do listen. I know right now there are a lot of teachers who think administrators are not listening and that we don't understand, um, but that is so far from the truth. Uh, we, we spend so much time thinking about how to navigate um, the different responsibilities that we have. And one of the responsibilities that we have is, of course, to support our teachers because they are on the front line working with our students every single day. And we also must support you know, student growth and student learning. So I've been looking for ways uh, to do that without adding additional pressure. You know, sometimes my intentions don't necessarily uh, meet that outcome um, in regard to the perception, but it's always my goal to see how I can help. So one thing I've started to do is to just really offer my support uh, by way of uh, hosting or facilitating virtual classes or even pushing into the classrooms of our most fragile learners so that I can um, just take some of that pressure off um, so that there's another teacher in the room. Um, and quite frankly, whether, uh, you know, teachers believe it or not, those are actually our best days when we're in the classroom with the students um, as administrators. So um, I had the opportunity to I was invited into two different classrooms. One was to support virtually in a breakout room and another was to push in. I will tell you that it was nostalgic um, and I, I, I was smiling throughout the process. I spent about, this is what I was spent about, you know, two class periods. So that's close to uh, 90 minutes or so um, because it is what we call a double block uh, language arts class classrooms. These are our most fragile learners um, where we give additional time so that we can spend more time in those uh, standards and skills that the students need additional uh, help in. So a couple of things that, a couple of takeaways from working with um, some of our most fragile learners um, online, uh, the teacher, my, one of, my first teacher, she said to me, you know, hey, I'm really interested to see how this goes for you because there's some students I can never get them to say anything. Um, I'm not sure if they're even there and you know I chuckled a little bit and I said okay I'll see what I can do so I uh, jumped into the session of course she let them know that I'll be working with them from for that day and uh, she went to facilitate rotations um, in her face-to-face -face class so one thing that I did do just because I am naturally just reflective I turned on the recording and when I turned on the recording, it was really for the purpose of just 
just having it so that I can go back later, listen to it and see areas that I can grow in or areas that I can, you know, help with, uh, with that particular group of students. So there are some cool things that I realized that happened. I know that right now this is a little, uh, how do I put it? Uh, teaching, although it is, although teachers are on stage, to be recorded virtually teaching, I know is a bit questionable and not everyone is comfortable doing it. So one thing I will say is that I'm not sure that um, a lot of my teachers or even the classrooms that I visit are recording themselves when they conduct live lessons. But there are some benefits to conducting those live lessons. I know everyone across the globe um, are using their, everyone's using a different system, but in Orange County Public Schools, we use uh, Canvas. So within Canvas, the learning management system, we use uh, a, a conferencing tool called uh, Big Blue Button, BBB. And once I started the recording for the Big Blue Button, there were some cool things that I did not um, know about. So I recorded the session after it was over, of course. I, I stopped the recording and I did a couple of things because it would help me be able to really assess um, what students were doing in addition to everything during the live session, but to have that um, documentation um, that learning was occurring. So I first stopped the recording, then I downloaded the actual public chat. One thing that I did while I was teaching, because I wanted to make sure that students were with me, um, is I consistently asked um, check-in questions or comprehension questions, um, just really argue with me questions. And I know that I see in uh, online platforms, teachers give polls to say, do you understand or, or what have you. I wanted to use questions that were more, that were oriented to what we were doing. So I asked a lot of text-based questions right in the chat and I asked students to respond. So I would wait and I would have, I would give specific directions as to who I wanted to respond to it. And although this did slow me down, I waited. Okay. It's uncomfortable. I know in the classroom, um, to wait with that wait time. Uh, however, what I will say is that, um, online, although it really felt slow, I did use wait time and I called on students specifically. If students didn't answer me when I called on them um, specifically in the chat and through audio, I began to send them private messages. And at one point I even picked up the phone and I called one of them um, just so that I can get them to respond. Um, once that happened, of course, all of a sudden I started getting messages uh, through direct chat um, responding to the questions that I was asking. So all of those things uh, were recorded in the public chat. So I wanted to save those responses because although I asked them um, verbally, the students were responding for the most part in chat. I did require that students either have on their camera or use their microphone. So making that an expectation from the time I walked into our, should I say the time I logged into the classroom, um, students uh, complied. There were some students who were not comfortable 
putting their cameras on so that I can see their faces, but they cut on their microphones. What I will also say is that that helped um, with participation. Um, I said, you know, I want to see your faces. I said it so they can only see me and I can only see them. They could not see their classmates, but the students did comply because it was um, an expectation. So when it was time to ask those questions, of course, I used the tools embedded in the, the conferencing tool where it told me who was typing. If I saw a student start typing and stop typing, uh, I would go ahead and address the student and I would wait. And so they knew uh, that I would not uh, let them off the hook. It was direct and it was intentional and deliberate. Um, also within the chat, one thing that came with my uh, download of the chat are the question are the poll questions that I created. So there were text dependent questions that I wanted students to respond to. So I created uh, the, I created multiple choice responses for those text dependent questions. And uh, once again, I waited. I called on students. I really felt like a bit of a nag, but it's no different than when I was in the classroom and the students were face to face and I had to you know, bug them to complete the assignment right there in my face <laughs> that was on a sheet of paper. So it was a bit nostalgic. It's just a different platform. And that's what I reminded myself of. So as I consistently, I continued to call on students and as the responses were coming in, I would give positive um, acknowledgement to those students who were submitting their answers. Then after the students submitted their answers, of course, I highlighted and I showed the polls and I asked questions about um, why specific students chose um, certain responses. At which point I had what I would call like mini lecture bites um, to just really dive into some of those uh, distractors as well as the correct answer choice. When I downloaded the chat, I had all of the students' responses to my discussion questions, to my text-dependent questions, and to my poll questions. And I saved those on purpose because although we were reading um, an article and students will be completing, we went through, um, after reading and annotating, we went through uh, a series of tasks after the fact that they were completing. But I am a big believer in facilitating the undertaking of the text. So uh, there's no other way that I would do it other than to have students engaged in the reading process. So we did annotate. There were questions that we answered throughout. There were opportunities for students to share their thinking because I believe that if students are thinking during the reading process and during the learning process, when it's time for students to respond to tasks, they are better equipped to do so. So one thing that I wanna point out is that in that session and the way that I structured it, I was able to, whether students submitted the task to come, um, I still had student responses. So if this were my gradebook, I would give students grades for the text-dependent questions that they responded to in the chat. And I received, for the most part, 100% participation. Um, I think for maybe a question or two, one student um, was probably having issues or they sent it to me in private and I had, and I had that response myself but I had the student responses. That's an opportunity for me to submit um, a particular grade for 
text-dependent questions. In addition to those text-dependent questions, students also answer poll questions that were not just, are you listening? Do you understand? Are you with me? They were real questions that um, went back to the critical content and what we wanted students to learn for the day. And I had those responses as well. So that's a second opportunity for me to put um, to put those assignments, put, to put that particular task um, in my gradebook if I needed to. Another thing that I always did and that I did expect for students to do here is that I created a Google document. I know there are different tools. Um, however, this was my first time working with this group of students. Wasn't sure what they'd been taught and um, I needed to do very little, I guess, technical training um, as possible. So I made sure to put the article in a Google Doc and I showed very quick ways to annotate and highlight. So I also had students share those with me and the reason for it is so that I can have the opportunity to see what they were annotating in addition to what they were sharing in the chat and as well, on my, as, well as on microphone. But that's also a third opportunity for me to put in um, scores for students even before they answered and completed the final task. So downloading the chat helped me a lot because it gave me three different um, grading, grading points to uh, use if it were my gradebook. So those are uh, major suggestions, especially if you're finding that it's difficult to get um, work from some of our most fragile learners um, who are learning virtually. Another thing that was a benefit of recording uh, the session is that after you finish recording, I got really cool statistics. So the statistics gave me actually like a participation score for students. And it let me know, like gave a, it was a numerical number and it was a range and it let me know um, which students were participating um, and at what and at, and at what capacity. And that was very helpful and it was really interesting to see. It also showed if one student was answering more questions than others. And that's something that we pay attention to in the face-to-face -face classroom also. So it is even better to see it in a virtual platform where students are using their microphones or even using the chat box. So that was something really neat that I can see. Um, that will help with even um, providing some type of score for students uh, uh, contributing to a classroom discussion. Um, of course, I'm not a fan of just participation scores, but if the discussions that you're having are in direct connection to your content standards and those, those responses and the participation that students are um, engaging in, then that score doesn't go in as participation. It goes in um, for discussion on whatever that topic may have been. And downloading and downloading and recording the, the session itself gave me um, pretty much stats for every single child. How many questions they answered, how many poll questions they responded to, um, how many times they spoke in the chat box, and then an overall participation score. So those also, that particular data is great to have because it also provides another point um, where you can really um, give, give students credit for what they are doing at home. Um, this is not easy, okay? It's not easy for us as educators 
and it is definitely not easy for students and it is not easy for parents okay i know we're saying hey uh, parents need to be more involved uh, these students that are learning from home and they need to come to class they need to log on on time they need to do all of these things there's a lot going on okay and uh, i know in, in ordinary situations and circumstances uh, we have to remember that children would be coming to school and they have the opportunity to leave quote leave because not necessary it's not gone away but at least when they come to school they are quote safe okay it, it's very similar to it's like a home away from home some students need to be at school because their environments are not exactly conducive to um home learning and when they come to school they're able to have some semblance of peace and a safe space to learn and work in and although you may think that children don't want to be in school that decision to keep them home um, was primarily an adult an adult decision okay there are a lot of parents who are very concerned about the health and the well-being of their child um, not everyone has the same access to um, health insurance or medical professionals is you know others and they would rather keep them home and trust that they are going to do the things that they need to do um, online by learning virtually than to send them in what they would consider to be harm's way. So I want you to remember that and just really think about um, just different ways that we can give credit um, to students for the learning that they are doing. As always, thank you for spending time with me here on Classroom Chats with Crystal.